All right. I'm sure for some of you that clock could not move fast enough. Uh, anyone else uh, glad they're not in high school anymore? Okay, I see a few hands out there. Uh, well, welcome again. Uh, good morning. It's great to see you uh, sort of through the lights. I can see figures uh, at least, not faces. Um, but my name is Aaron Robertson, and uh, today I get to share with you from God's Word, and uh, it really is a privilege to share with you. Um, and so one of the things that people recommend when speaking or teaching, preaching, that kind of thing, is that you share a little bit about yourself uh, to build some rapport with the audience. So uh, I'm going to do that right now, uh, sharing some information. Uh, and these juicy nuggets actually come from an important document called my driver's license. Uh, so I am uh, born September 14th, 1981. I am a male. I'm six foot three, 215 pounds. My eyes are blue and I want to be an organ donor. All right, so that's probably enough information. Um, no, in all seriousness, before Drew uh, regrets having invited me, uh, I want to share a little bit about myself, my family. Uh, I think I'm in charge, maybe. I don't see my slide, though. Um, so my wife, Erica, and I, we've been married for 15 years now, and uh, we've been at Hope for a little over 11 years, which means we date back to when we dropped our kids off in closets at Hope West for nursery because there was no room, uh, a little too crowded. So we've got four of them. We're uh, equal parts blessed and crazy. Uh, so Miriam in the middle there is 12, going into seventh grade. Uh, Aubrey is 11, going into sixth grade. And Christian, uh, as of today, is eight years old. Uh, so you can wish him a happy birthday later. And then Benji, uh, our little caboose, he'll be four in just a couple weeks. So uh, they're uh, a great family. Like most families, uh, we have things we love and hate. And uh, one of our favorites is uh, we like eating refrigerator pickles. Uh, you guys can laugh, even if it's just an awkward laugh. Uh, and uh, our kids really love to argue about who is on whose side of the couch. Uh, any other families have that issue? Car, yeah, the car seats. Uh, I remember it well. So uh, this morning, we're going to continue on the parables. And since I have the mic, this will give you a little insight into my mind. Since I have the mic, I want to check to see if anyone else... Uh, sees something like this pop into their mind every time they hear parables. Is anyone else out there? Parables? No? Okay, you will now. If nothing else from today's sermon, I hope you remember that. Um, so uh, we're actually going to dive into a famous and well-loved parable. It makes my work a little bit harder because uh, even if you didn't grow up in the church, you've probably heard this parable. Uh, if you did grow up in the church, you likely saw it on a flannel board uh, told in Sunday school. Uh, it's the Good Samaritan, of course. Uh, and, but this is such a well-known and well-loved parable. It's actually got uh, a broad cultural point of reference. There's laws uh, in our country, in the world, good Samaritan laws about this parable. So it's really well known. 
Uh, and if you're making a top 10 list of parables, this one would be up near the top. So uh, earlier you guys shared uh, just a second ago, which high school group you were in. And uh, my confession, I was and am and always will be a nerd. Uh, I tried to find a nerdier picture, but um, was limited on time. So that's what you get. Uh, I used to push my glasses up with my cheeks. I couldn't be bothered to like use my hands, so I'd just scrunch my face uh, to get them back in place. So I uh, might try my hand with the artsy crowd or athletes or other things, but at the end of the day, uh, I always wound up with my books. Still, I always wound up with books and theories and a sense of humor that's just a little bit off. Um, so as we look at the Good Samaritan, part of what we'll see is that when it comes to God's kingdom, the human categories like nerd or jock or skater or uh, whatever else, uh, people use to differentiate between one another. In the kingdom of God, those get thrown out. Uh, the, God, the Good Samaritan reveals to us that God shows no partiality uh, with his love. So we're going to read through the whole passage and then we'll go back through. So this is Luke t- uh, Luke 10, 25 through 37, if you want to pull your Bibles out. Um, and uh, otherwise, it's right there, which is a little bit easier. Uh, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him, Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Uh, So as we get into this, I want to give a little bit of context. It'll give a a little bit of a a flavor, some detail to the uh, scene that we just read here. Uh, And it comes from the passage right before and right after uh, this parable of the Good Samaritan. So right before is uh, when Jesus sends out the 72 disciples And uh, he commissions them, send them out town to town, announcing the kingdom. Um, And uh, and then right after, Jesus visits Mary and Martha. Um, And so both of those have a little something in them that actually comes out in our story today. They kind of sandwich the Good Samaritan parable. So here earlier in Luke 10, this is Jesus talking to the disciples as he's sending them out. 
Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter first, enter first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of our town, of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. So I see here, the disciples are sent out there to proclaim the coming kingdom, the coming king, uh, but they're to proclaim it to a peculiar, particular crowd. Uh, and it's those who will receive him. And those whose uh, willingness to receive this king and this kingdom was demonstrated by their hospitality and their generosity. So they go out, knock on the door. They get the cold shoulder at the door. They turn. Those people are not ready to receive Christ and his kingdom. They go out and they get that embrace of fellowship, that welcome, that hospitality. That's where they're to proclaim the kingdom. Those people's hearts were um, such that they were ready to, to hear the news of the kingdom. Um, and so this generosity, this welcoming, welcoming, this hospitable heart is really something that we'll want to remember as we get into the Good Samaritan. The second thing to note uh, from this sending and uh, returning of the 72 is the praise they receive from Jesus when they return. So they come back, they are pumped up, they're excited, like, I can't believe, oh yeah, it's amazing. Uh, and uh, Jesus praises the Father for what's happened. And then he praises the disciples, he, uh, he turns to them and says privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see, for I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. He compares them to these best of the best, the people that were educated, the people that uh, looked through scripture that watched all around culture and country and everything in Israel to see what they saw and they didn't have it. Their high esteem, their great power, their privilege, their wealth, everything else actually did nothing to grant them the ability to see God's kingdom coming through the chosen king. It was an act of grace from God that these disciples got to experience that. Um, so this highlighting of hospitality and generosity we see with the 72, and then uh, this scene that they experience uh, show up in the passage just after, in a little bit different way as we look at Mary and Martha quick. Um, so we're going to uh, look at Mary and Martha, uh, and we get a glimpse into some interesting family dynamics, and uh, if you have uh, looked at your own family, uh, you maybe can identify with some of the things here. Uh, so, now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. A woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, 
which will not be taken away from her. Uh, So if I had to place a bet, I would guess that Martha is the firstborn uh, in the family, right? Mary is the younger sister. That's kind of typically how it plays out. The firstborn is the uh, type A, the linear checklist, uh, get it done. And uh, us secondborns uh, operate a little bit differently, much to the annoyance of our older siblings. Mine's uh, right back there. Um, uh, so fascinating family dynamics. Um, my wife is a firstborn. I'm a secondborn. So I actually get to live some of this uh, every day. Um, So Martha probably observed every custom of hospitality that would have been expected. She would have uh, all the feet washing and all the all the little things that, you know, you make uh, do with to be a good host. Martha was taking care of all of those. Uh, But in that busyness, she missed the fact that the point of hospitality is to be with the guest, to be present with the guest Uh, It's more important than all those checklists of things. So uh, we see, again, the nature of hospitality isn't just a thing to do, but it's a loving, compassionate presence like Mary's at the feet of Jesus, rather than simply a provision or order or cleanliness or whatever else. Hospitality is about uh, connection and uh, belonging and and togetherness. Uh, And so Mary saw that. She saw the good portion while Mary was so consumed with her to-dos that she actually, this, my wife tends towards Martha a little bit, but even at her worst, she would never go to our guest and ask them to scold me for not clearing the table off fast enough. I mean, that, that's what Martha's doing here. Jesus, can't you see my sister? Like, we're hosting you. You got to get her to clean up. Uh, but Martha missed it. She missed Jesus in that moment. Uh, and Mary was, was there. So these two passages, they sandwich our parable, uh, and they bring out some things that I want us to kind of keep in mind. And so the first one is seeing the king and his kingdom, recognizing Jesus, receiving Jesus. Uh, it's tied directly to a compassionate presence and a generous outpouring of our lives on the behalf of others. So um, with that heavy dose of context out of the way, we're going to turn back to our passage. And uh, there's kind of two scenes. There's a scene between Jesus and the lawyer, and then sandwich in that there's a scene of the parable itself. So uh, we'll look at lo- both of those. Uh, the lawyer is not like our lawyers today. He maybe has some similarities. He would have studied God's word. He would have known every little thing he should or shouldn't do. Uh, but there was also a lot of other things in Jewish culture and Jewish life, all sorts of other laws and regulations and um, all these little bits and pieces that uh, he would have known and would have tried to follow meticulously. Um, and uh, he knew the minutia of the law and he would have always pushed for clarity. Can I do this and not that? Well, what about this? Uh, and we'll see this in this parable. Uh, now, this guy might sound a bit tedious and tiresome, uh, but back in his day, this guy actually was in the cool crowd. You know, thinking back to our question, he would have been at the cool kids table for lunch. Uh, a lot of you are younger than me. Maybe we're hoping for like a mean girls image. Uh, I'm older, so you get this. Um, but uh, he would have been at the cool kids table. He would have been hanging out with the priests and the Levites, which you'll see in this story. He would have been a person of respect, a person of honor. He was uh, not just someone who knew the law, but it's kind of implied if you do that, you're pretty concerned about following all those little things out. And uh, so he would have been a cool kid. 
Uh, and uh, so much so that uh, he may actually have been avoided by lesser people that didn't want to experience the condescension, the comparison, the not living up to the standard the lawyer has. Um, so that's our lawyer. Uh, he's not in a courtroom in the same way we think of lawyers, but he knows the law. Uh, and uh, as we look at the lawyer's questions that he puts to Jesus, I just kind of want to preface that. Uh, something you should know about asking questions of Jesus. Uh, it usually doesn't turn out well. Uh, you can see this with the, with the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the priests, others throughout Scripture. It doesn't end well for them. Uh, many times, when you look at a biblical character in the Old or New Testament, they begin to lob questions at God to, to question his character. They got criticisms, uh, things towards God. Uh, it gets turned back on them. And, and the best example of this uh, is in Job 40. Uh, so Job has suffered immensely, and he starts to question God in a way that, that really is questioning his character and his care and his presence in Job's life. Uh, and you see a scene here uh, that really is fascinating. So this is uh, God and Job in uh, Job 40. The Lord said to Job, will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let him who accuses God answer him. Then Job answered the Lord, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Oops. Uh, Job felt very exposed in that moment. And we'll see in this passable with the Good Samaritan, he's going to get exposed. He's going to have a, oops, maybe I shouldn't have gone there moment. Um, so the lawyer kind of gets a, a softer version of, of this Job experience. You have questions for me? Let, let, let me question you a little bit. Um, and so the initial question from the lawyer is probably in earnest. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? It's in the scriptures, the Old Testament, a number of places. is a matter of debate uh, in that day amongst all the different uh, factions of Judaism. And so he wants to know, uh, what, what do I need to do? Um, and so it's an earnest question. There may have also been a desire to trap Jesus. Like, okay, what's he going to say? I know these people say this, those people say that. What's Jesus going to say? Uh, so he's kind of digging around, trying to trap Jesus maybe. Uh, but he probably does have an earnest desire to know. So Jesus knows the man's heart, and he knows the circles that, G that uh, this lawyer travels in. So uh, as he often does, he answers a question with a question. Uh, and it really is a, a brilliant thing. He actually asks a question of the lawyer that allows the lawyer to use his skills, his gift, his passion, his background. He's a lawyer. He knows the laws of God. He knows the scriptures. And so Jesus says, what do the scriptures say? How do you read it? Uh, so it's really a deft move. It, it actually moves the question and the play of field into the lawyer's comfort zone. Um, and perhaps surprising everyone, the lawyer actually gives an answer that Jesus affirms and validates. Uh, there's not many times in scripture, at least with the Pharisees, where they uh, give an answer that Jesus is like, you got it. You did it. Good job. But Jesus does this. Do this and you will live, right? 
So what is the question? How do I have eternal, eternal life? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The lawyer had a mental understanding of this, right? He, he knew, okay, this is what scripture boils down to. He, he knew that up here. Um, so if I was the lawyer, I would have quit right there. I got to answer right, right? I, I did it. Uh, I'm going to walk away now before things get, uh, get scary. Um, time to get out of there. But uh, he's a curious fellow, and so he asked a follow-up question. Uh, and uh, he wants to know a little more. So he, he understood it mentally, but he, he didn't understand it beyond his head and heart. So he asked this question, uh, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor, right? Uh, pretty simple question. Uh, but Jesus uses this question to move beyond the matter of head to get into the matter of the lawyer's heart and his hands, how he lived his life. Um, so the lawyer wants to know geography, right? Like, we have a house. Here's my neighbor. Here's my neighbor. I've got a family. They're probably neighbors. I got the people that I choose to hang out with. They're my neighbors. You know, for the lawyer, it would have been priests and Levites and other lawyers. Uh, he wants to kind of know what are the categories? What are the boundaries of being a neighbor? Um, Jesus, though, changes that. It's not a matter of who is my neighbor, but how do I be a neighbor? The question shouldn't have been, who is my neighbor, but how should I be a neighbor? Or referring back to the great commandment, uh, loving your neighbor as yourself specifically, uh, it isn't what is the category of neighbor, but what is the nature of love? What is love? That was what the follow-up question should have been from the, the lawyer. What is love, not who is my neighbor? Uh, so... Jesus introduces a parable. Now, some translation, ours just says a man, uh, but some translations actually say a certain man. A certain man. Uh, it's about as generic and abstract as you can get, right? Uh, there's nothing of note about him. Uh, he could be part of any social group. He could have been a part of any ethnicity he could have been any sort of category that the lawyer might wanted to put him in. It's no longer on the table, right? It's just a certain man. We don't know if he was Jewish or Samaritan. We don't know if he was rich or poor. We don't know if he was a sinner or a priest. We don't know anything about him. And uh, that's really, really important. He could have been the cool kid, the jock, the teacher's pet, uh, maybe even the foreign exchange student that all the girls think is cute. Uh, any number of things. We don't know. But that's really important that we don't know. Uh, because the lawyer wants to know who that guy is and not the nature of love. Um, the lawyer had these categories, right? Neighbor, not neighbor. Jesus wipes those off the table when he sets the stage here. It's just a certain man. Um, and in doing that, wiping off those categories, Jesus does something really beautiful from the get-go, and without actually saying it explicitly, he affirms the dignity and value of all people. He's demonstrating there's no category or no group of people that's not worthy of care, of care or his love. And uh, what we see in this is that uh, Jesus pushes his followers to drop the pretenses and some of the positions that the world wants to use to uh, show partiality. Jesus is getting all that off the table. Uh, so this certain man, 
has experienced uh, something that actually would have been familiar to the lawyer and, and to other listeners. Uh, so geographically, Jerusalem is up here. It says the man is going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. So there is this uh, big old hill, series of hills going from Jerusalem down to Jericho. Uh, and it was full of valleys. You can kind of see here. It doesn't look good when it's blown up. It looked good on my computer. But uh, it's a, a twisty turny up and down. There's caves and valleys and rocks and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and those crevices and cracks, little holes in the wall, uh, were fertile ground for uh, robbers, for villains. to uh, They'd hide out and they'd swoop in and run back off and, and uh, make way with, with things. So uh, it's a treacherous journey and it's filled with treacherous people, right? Uh, not a place you want to go. Um, and so this man falls victim to some of these ruffians. Uh, he is robbed not only of his possessions, uh, but also his health. He was beaten, uh, near death, half dead, and uh, even the dignity of clothing. So he's left naked and bloody, beaten and battered, unable to fend for himself, help himself move on the side of the road. Uh, and he was, as the uh, prophet Bob Dylan says, knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door. Uh, he was not in good shape, right? Uh, and that's a very obvious point because it makes what happens next uh, all the more shocking. Um, so half-dead man on the side of the road, Jesus introduces two characters to the story. The lawyer would have heard these two characters and been like, those are my boys. They're here to save the day, right? These are, these are my buddies, the uh, priest and the Levite. Uh, and and uh, the lawyer probably would have traveled in some of those same circles. These were people concerned about purity, about the law, about all that God, uh, God's people thought they needed to do to be right with God. Uh, so he would have identified with them right away. Uh, and uh, so priests and Levite, these are the movers and the shakers. These were uh, ordering all manner of life, not just for worship, but for community and fellowship and how they related to one another. Uh, the priest would have been kind of top rung cool kid, right? Uh, he's in the temple ordering the affairs of people before God, um, communicating on behalf of the people with God. And then the Levites were kind of like, you know, there's the cool kids and then the people that kind of hang around the cool kids because uh, they want to be the cool kids. The Levites would have been right there. And they were the ones that helped attend to the priest's needs. Uh, they would have been hanging out together and, and would have known each other. So the lawyer would have known those. Uh, and, you know, as he hears it, oh, a priest, uh, he might be thinking, all right, oh, goody, a short and straight to the, an straight to the point answer, right? Like, oh, the priest, he's going to know. I know him. I'm, he's like, he's good, right? He's going to be the hero. Uh, but uh, Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus takes two figures that would have been uh, heroes in the life of this lawyer, two people that uh, would have been examples, role models for this lawyer, and uh, he has them do something that uh, is absolutely uh, breathtakingly horrible. Uh, so what we see from both this priest and the Levite is utterly contemptible, right? Like they see this man, they clothed him here because it's a Sunday school book, uh, but he would not have been that clothed. Uh, so they see this man clearly in pain, clearly hurting, clearly suffering, and they pass by. They saw him. It's very explicit. They saw him. It wasn't he was hiding. They saw him and they passed by. Uh, they knew his condition. They knew the danger he was in. They too would have been familiar with this 
this journey from Jerusalem to Jericho, uh, they may have even been able to look him in the eyes, to hear his moans, to, to see the blood pooling in the dust and kind of balling up in the dirt. They would have smelled smells. They, they were there and they passed on the other side. Uh, so this man's uh, knocking on heaven's door, but he's not dead. He's only half dead, right? Uh, <laughs> as I was reading this, that scene from Monty Python came to mind. Uh, some of you maybe know it, right? Uh, bring out your dead. And uh, the guy, I'm not dead yet. He's not dead yet. He's not dead. So this is a man that can still be helped, still be uh, loved and cared. But the priests and Levite, they respond with cruel indifference. Uh, and just, you know, the Sunday school version isn't as graphic as, as it would have been in real life, but just let that sink in, sink in the shock value of that. Someone within their reach to help and they pass by. Um, uh, it, it's, it's shocking to us. It should shock us. It would have been shocking to the lawyer, right? Like these are his buddies. These are his guys and they're passing by. Uh, and it kind of leaves us screaming, like, how, how could they? How could they? Their status, their identities as religious leaders, and even just their simple humanity. How could they not help? They should have known better, right? Um, so to remain unconcerned, unresponsive when face-to-face with human suffering is, is unconscionable. We all feel that kind of just viscerally. Um, these were men who put up a pretense and managed an image of devotion to God while failing in a profound and disturbing way to show care for a hurt person within their reach to help. Uh, They had such little understanding of God's compassion that they were unable to demonstrate even the slightest bit towards others. Um, So what comes next in this parable is even more of a shocker, right? Uh, Maybe not more of a shocker, but just as much of a shocker, right? So the Jesus introduces a Samaritan to the scene. Uh, and uh, for the lawyer, that probably he probably had a little bit of bile rise up in his stomach, like the visceral reaction to passing by this hurting person. Uh, Jewish people, especially those worried about purity, worried about uh, cleanliness, those kind of things, they hear about a Samaritan, and, and it's a gut reaction. It's a, a visceral kind of reaction uh, to them because the Samaritans were half-breeds. They were unclean, unpure kind of, Worshiping in a wrong way, worshiping, uh, you know, just they're, they're yucky, right? Uh, they're, they're bad, okay? So um, this foulest of characters to the lawyer gets in- introduced. And after having seen the uh, failure of the priest and Levite, I can imagine the lawyer just having a little bit of a sinking feeling like, okay, priests fail, Levite fail. We've got this Samaritan. Please don't make him the hero, Please don't let him be the good guy, right? Uh, he's, he's the worst of the worst. Uh, but uh, that's, that is exactly what happens, right? So the Samaritan wouldn't have even ranked within the social categories of Jewish life. He was completely other. He was outside. So he wasn't the loner or the stoner. He wasn't the dropout or even the dunce, you know, class clown whatever else in, in the, the school. He, he was outside. He would have actually been the, uh, 
rival from the Crosstown High School, right? Like he was other, he was despised simply because he was from there. It didn't matter if the Samaritan was uh, rich or famous or, you know, whatever else in his school, he was a rival. He was over there. He wasn't worth consideration. Um, and so none of those categories matter because he's a Samaritan. Um, so the lawyer's feelings uh, for the Samaritan would have been a little bit similar to uh, Elf Alpha's supposed words to Darla in the Little Rascals, right? Dear Samaritan, I hate your stinking guts. You make me vomit. You are scum between my toes. Love a Jewish lawyer, right? This uh, lawyer's reaction to the introduction of the Samaritan would really have been that kind of strong reaction. Okay, so what does Jesus have our Samaritan do? Okay, same road, same man, same treacherous journey, surrounded by treacherous people. The Samaritan sees the man, he does exactly the opposite of what these heroes, the priest and Levite, would have done, right? Uh, so he saw the man, and rather than passing by, he goes to them, goes to him, has compassion, and goes to him. Uh, with no concern for himself, remember the robbers are probably still in the area. He's still a possible victim of these robbers. No concern to himself, his safety, his own wallet, or anything else. Uh, he gives up his ride through these treacherous roads. It's a laborious journey to this man, right? To help him out. Takes him to an inn and then provides the care and comfort, not just in that moment, but for the future, uh, takes care of him in a way that ensures the man would return to health. Uh, and the contrast that happens here, priest, Levite, and Samaritan, uh, in terms of their character and who they would have been seen as just in their introductions to the parable, you know, really, really good, really, really bad. And then what happens in terms of their conduct gets flipped, right? Uh, complete opposite. The, the, the contrast is huge. Um, and what this does is reveals the heart of the lawyer, right? Remember, he wanted to know who was a neighbor. He wasn't concerned with how do I love. Uh, and so Jesus, in asking or in telling this story, um, is helping reveal the lawyer's heart, right? Jesus knew the lawyer had not yet faced the fact that his own heart was calculating and selfish. Um, and so Jesus begins the parable by eliminating the category of neighbor or not neighbor, right? Uh, so he's got that, uses a certain man, a generic man. And at the end, we see him ratchet up the pressure once again that uh, moves the lawyer beyond the categories in his head into the postures of his heart. Which of the three proved to be a neighbor? How did he who carried themselves, who conducted themselves in a way that proved them to be a neighbor, right? Uh, so which of the three displayed the character of God in a way that demonstrated they truly love the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength? Uh, so obvious answer on this one, right? Uh, we know it's a Samaritan, right? Uh, and the lawyer delivers. Again, he's two for two now. Uh, as bad as he looks in this situation, he's two for two. Uh, he's betting a hundred. Um, and uh, he says, the, the Samaritan, the one who showed mercy. Um, and, uh, you know, going back to our, our school crowds, the Samaritan from the rival school that was worthless and nothing, uh, in a single moment here, won the school spirit award. 
scored the winning touchdown at homecoming and became prom king. Like all of that in this one, uh, one little story, this rival, this despised rival shows up and uh, becomes a hero. Um, and it, it's a, a beautiful and a challenging things. Um, and uh, Jesus replied to the lawyer's correct answer again. It's similar to his first reply, right? It's go and do. Do this and you shall live. Go and do likewise, right? Uh, it might, be see- might seem like the, that Jesus has given this clear checklist what to do. Uh, you know, okay, you got to go find a guy half dead on the side of the road and, and take him to an inn. And, uh, you know, it could be read that way. I got to seek out people that are going to do these things. Uh, but what we know from the tone of the interaction, uh, that it's not just a matter of kind of checklist. It's a matter of heart and soul. And that's what Jesus is getting at. Uh, so the going and the doing that Jesus sets before the lawyer, uh, hopefully we know maybe, I know this of me, uh, that's an impossible standard to live out every day, all the time, all places. You know, I, I have things, things come up on the news and I hear about this or that or this other thing and my heart kind of hardens or quickens like, oh, I, you know, I, I have all these different places where my heart kind of interrupts that uh, opportunity to show compassion. Um, it's an impossible standard, but what we know from the gospel uh, from the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, from the forgiveness that we have. Uh, moments like this and standards like this, we, we should develop a humility that leads to repentance. Uh, we don't hear it in the story. We don't see it with the lawyer. Uh, but I think part of what Jesus is probing for in this lawyer's heart is a sense of humility that would lead to repentance. Not just a checklist of things to do to please God, but that humble open, receptive heart to receive the king and his forgiveness so I can live in the kingdom. Um, And so it's actually in that repentance we find complete forgiveness. And then in a remarkable act of grace, we don't just receive that forgiveness, but we're quickened by the power of the Holy Spirit to actually see ourselves growing in Christ-like character. Uh, Unlike the lawyer who sought to justify himself, uh, we can fall before Jesus to be justified by him. Uh, We don't have to have a checklist of things. Jesus has taken care of that checklist. Uh, We can be justified in Christ. Uh, He's fulfilled all the requirements of the law and commands. Uh, So Jesus isn't calling us to an impossible life of compassion, sacrifice, and generosity without having already done so himself. So uh, we're going to look back a couple things here to pull out from this. Uh, and these showed up in, in the 72 being sent uh, in the Good Samaritan and Mary and Martha, right? So uh, those who should know better, those who should see into the ways of God and his kingdom often fail to do so. The kings and prophets and Martha that we mentioned at the beginning failed a kingdom of God vision test, right? They didn't see it. So too did the towns that rejected the 72 disciples. They didn't see it. Um, And in our parable, the priest and Levite, they didn't see. They did not see the opportunity to live out the compassion of God. Um, So I hope we don't know. We never learn the outcome. But I'd love to think that during this passage, after this passage, this lawyer was moved from blindness to sight. I hope that Jesus' questions and responses 
probed his heart, moved into his heart in a way where he looked at and, and moved from blindness to sight, where he would not be a priest or a Levite passing by, but he would be a good Samaritan. Um, next thing, a love of God and acceptance of his king and kingdom involves a demonstrable commitment to compassionate presence, generosity, and mercy. So the 72 disciples were at the mercy and the hospitality of whoever would receive them. They received from the generosity of others. Uh, we see that with Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus to be present with him. She wants to be near to him, to fellowship with him, to, to learn from him. Um, and our good Samaritan obviously raised the standard uh, for what that looks like in his sacrificial commitment to those ideals. Uh, and then not, next one, God does not have boxes and categories for us in choosing who should receive his or our love. Uh, we don't have the right to put boxes on who's in and out in receiving our love. The call is to a certain man, a certain woman, any man, any woman. Totally open. Those categories are uh, thrown away. And then the go and do likewise. That command of Christ, it's impossibly challenging to follow through with, yet the uh, call remains, right? Good theology, personal piety, a full arsenal of apologetic arguments, uh, memorization, mastery of scripture, they'll never suffice for followers of Christ without a life that displays the beautiful and radical hospitality, compassion, and generosity that marks God's kingdom. Um, so what do we do with a passage like this? Uh, a little secret uh, about following Christ. And uh, if you're new to Christ, maybe you're struggling to reconcile this. Uh, if you're older in Christ, uh, hopefully you recognize this in yourself, right? A little secret, we will fail a lot. Uh, the lawyer didn't want to see that in himself, that his heart was selfish. But uh, we can be humble enough to acknowledge this. We fail a lot, right? Right. Uh, I, for one, when I hear love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself, uh, I feel a little inadequate and ill-prepared, right? To do that all the time. Like my kids sometimes drive me crazy and I don't have the patience, right? Or I have a hard day at work and I kind of just need to shut down and not engage or uh, not have that conversation with the neighbor or there's that, uh, you know, within our church, Sometimes, you know, I'd rather just kind of hide behind my mask again now. It's easier sometimes to, uh, to not take that step to see and to enter in, right? Um, so the Christian life is one long experience of Pinterest fails, right? I think Drew, Drew's probably shown Pinterest fails up here before, right? Uh, so God holds us up something beautiful, right? He shows us something beautiful and good and pure and holy and right, right? Uh, he, he's the one on the left, right? God shows us this beautiful thing, and then we try to go after it, and our best efforts, they, they fail. Even our best efforts uh, don't quite get there, right? And so uh, over and over again, we could scroll through. There's pages of this if, if you want to Google and receive in some encouragement in your Christian walk, right? Uh, we don't get it right, and that's okay. Uh, our, our life is one long uh, repeat of these Pinterest fails. Um, but with the power of the Holy Spirit in our Christian fellowship and encourage one another, we actually get to try again and again 
and again, right? And little by little, God starts to work in us. He helps to uh, helps our hands to uh, not butcher <laughs> Cookie Monster, right? Little by little, we start to look more like Christ, more like the real thing. So when we acknowledge those failures, our hearts are softened to God's grace in a way that allows them to enter into our lives in a way that gives us eyes to see, like the Samaritan, right? Gives us eyes to see, and it's only in truly seeing that we can ever hope to receive the compassion, mercy, hospitality, and generosity that Christ offers to us. Uh, And in that receiving, then we get the power of the Holy Spirit to live that out. Um, So another thing that this passage challenges us with is, where do we place ourselves in the story, right? Uh, And maybe you had bits of all three kind of echoing in your heart. Um, Are you a lawyer or a priest or a Levite? Are you putting categories or boundaries on who will and won't receive your compassion or love? Or are you striving to be the good Samaritan, right? Are you walking with God in such a way that there's an overflow of your life into the life of others? Or uh, perhaps you see yourself on the beaten man, left half dead on the side of the road, and you see our Savior in the Good, good Samaritan. Or maybe you uh, have never experienced that compassion from our Savior. Maybe you're that beaten person on the side of the road, and you're waiting for that Good Samaritan, for that compassion and love to show up. Um, so I want to close on this, actually, because it's important. Uh, Our sins and the work of the devil have left all of us battered and broken and spiritually dead. Uh, We don't even need to turn on the news to see Haiti, to see Afghanistan, to see all these other places, to know that there's some profound and deep brokenness. We could walk down any one of our streets, look behind any one of the doors or the houses there, and we would see hurt and pain of some sort. And behind our own doors, right? Behind the own doors of our own heart, we have hurts and pains and griefs that we carry. Um, We live in a treacherous world full of treacherous people, uh, not least of whom we should count ourselves, right? Um, But God did not stay on his side of heaven indifferent to our pain. He sees it and he knows it and he cries over it. Uh, In fact, uh, he chose to enter into our pain, right? To suffer with us, to die for us. He had compassion on us. He showed mercy toward us. He gave generously to provide for us so that we can receive the eternal life that the lawyer wanted. He binds up our wounds. He carries us when he can't move. He provides shelter for us, okay? All those things are true of us. Um, and God does that for us. So all of this he did so that we could join him in sharing that same compassion, that same mercy and generosity to others. Uh, We have access to an unbridled, unbounded, and overflowing love for world and for people crying out, I'm not dead yet. We have neighbors that are hurting and grieving. They're not dead yet. They want that cup of water. They want that wound to be bound up. They want that loving and compassionate presence, right? Uh, And so the good news that comes after the good news of the gospel is that we don't do this life of sacrifice, this life of compassion, without being well-equipped through the power of his Holy Spirit and through the fellowship and encouragement uh, of others, of other good Samaritans that Christ had called to join us. So as we close here, I got a couple questions for us. 
Um, and I want to play, you to place yourself in, your, in the story, right? And, and you might be in a couple of these characters. You might identify a couple places. You know, when I'm at work, I really have a hard time showing compassion towards this. They just, they grind my gears. I, I just, I can't do it, Lord, right? Or maybe it's at home and, and, and things are hard. Maybe it's, uh, you watch the news and it's like, well, they got what they deserved or they, you know, uh, whatever kind of social circles and situations, this might be, you might be a couple different things. So how are you like the beaten man? How has sin, your own or that of others, left you beaten, broken, and left for dead? Uh, and have you, like blind Bartimaeus, if you guys remember the story, crying out on the roadside, son of David, have mercy on me. Have you cried out to Jesus to have mercy on you? to show that good Samaritan compassion towards you, to see you and to bring his compassionate presence into your life in a powerful way. Um, Are you the beaten man? Are you the lawyer, the priest, or the Levite? Where have you placed boundaries around the limits of your compassion, mercy, or generosity? Where have you set the limits? Who's excluded from that? Um, And you can think of categories. Usually when you watch the news, that's where kind of categories come up. This people or that group or that crowd. Um, You know, it's easy to kind of think of people in the abstract uh, and pray and repent over that. But uh, in your own life, who are names and faces that come to mind? Who are those people where it's really hard to do that, right? We all have them. Uh, Let's name them. Name them before the Lord and say, I need your help, Father. I need the power of your spirit to allow me to be a compassionate presence instead of a cold presence or an indifferent presence. Uh, Help me do that, Lord. Um, Yeah, so who are those groups that you have a hard time showing compassion to and who are individuals? And then the Good Samaritan, some kind of heart checks if, if you feel you're living as a good Samaritan, if you're doing well with this. It's just a heart check. Is your compassion, your mercy, mercy, and your generosity a result of an overflow of receiving from Christ? The way that, That's how it should be. Or is it striving to justify yourself? The lawyer could have left this conversation two ways. He could have gone and tried harder, done more, found more things to do, you know, to look like the good Samaritan. Um, But we know Jesus, in conversations with other Pharisees, uh, talks about, you look like this, but on the inside there's death, right? The lawyer could have tried to look like the Good Samaritan. Jesus wanted him to look like and actually be the Good Samaritan, inside and out. Um, So is that compassion and mercy and generosity? Is it a justifying yourself or is it an overflow of what you're seeing from God? And then how can you invite other believers into opportunities to show Good Samaritan compassion? And I didn't know Drew was going to put up Arrive Ministries. I actually was going to mention them. Uh, On our news this week, all over social media, uh, there is crisis and calamity Uh, There is pain and suffering. Uh, And maybe it's not helping host a refugee family. There will be Afghan families on the ground in Minnesota very, very soon. Uh, There are people in Haiti that are hurting, that need supplies. Uh, There's the food shelf that our church helps serve with on a very regular basis. You have neighbors 
uh, that you might not know those hurts and pains. And so one of the things that I, I like to think about, you know, I've got neighbors. I don't really know what goes on behind closed doors. I don't know what's in their heart. I don't know all those griefs and sorrows. So one of the things, if you're kind of feeling stuck, like I don't know where to start, uh, you know, I can't go to Afghanistan or Haiti. I can't, you know, do some things. Uh, but three quick steps help you love your neighbor. Uh, prayer, care, and share. So the first one, just pray. Just ask the Lord that he grant you opportunity for a conversation to be that compassionate presence. So prayer. And as you pray and have the opportunity, you're going to hear something, a way to engage, to respond to them. So share. You know, maybe it's a word of encouragement. Maybe the, the fridge is empty and they need a bag of groceries. Maybe uh, it's trouble with kids, family, whatever else. Find a way to share in that suffering. And then share. As you have a chance, share your motivation. Why is it that you can show that compassion? Why is it that you can show that mercy? It's because you've received compassion. You've received mercy. Um, so we're going to close now with that. Um, and just some questions for you to consider. There's really practical outworkings of this. I'm not going to give a long list. You know, I mentioned arrive. I mentioned some other things. Uh, go to the Lord with this. Let, let him lead you to what he would have you do. Um, I'm going to pray, and then I actually don't know order of service, wherever Drew is, uh, who's coming up next or what's happening next. But I'll uh, pray, and I think Colin's going to come back up. Uh, Heavenly Father, you sent your son. He was our good Samaritan. He saw us. He saw our pain, and he drew near. He bound up our wounds. He carried us brought us, he's bringing us to an eternal home one day, but he's provided for us. Uh, all our hurts and pains have been provided for and taken care of and healed up by you, Father. And that is an amazing gift, Father. And we know that uh, in doing that for us, you want us to do that for others. So we pray that you'd work in each of our hearts and minds. Help us see those next steps. Help us see how we can be faithful to you uh, in uh, pouring out this overflow of love. Uh, let us not ask, who is my neighbor? But uh, let us ask, what is the nature of your love, Father? Uh, I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.